you will turn to Galatians chapter 2. We are continuing our study of Galatians. And we are going to look at just a few verses today because um, we looked a few weeks ago at the doctrine of justification. And a week before that, we looked at verses 11 through 14 and how Peter, saved by grace, was eating with the Gentiles, understood clearly what God's grace had offered with regarding to food and uh, what you could and couldn't eat. And then when some certain Jews came into town, Peter withdrew himself. And he was being a hypocrite, and Paul confronted him in love, but he confronted him with the truth of the gospel. He said that he was not being straightforward with the gospel. And his actions were leading people astray. And and Peter was not living a life in line with grace. He was not living a life that was in line with the gospel. He was being hypocritical. And it was causing division. It was causing problems. And what he was really saying was this. At the heart of the issue, Peter's withdrawal from the Gentiles, Peter's refusal to eat with the Gentiles was saying this. That the Gentiles, though they were believers in Christ, what he was saying is that they were not fully accepted by the blood of Jesus. What Peter was creating, if you will, was a Christ plus gospel. Christ plus something else. In this case, it was Christ plus circumcision. It was Christ plus obeying the Mosaic law. It was basically saying that a Gentile, in some sense, had to become a Jew to be saved. He he was distorting the gospel. And what we see in verses 11 all the way through 21... This entire section is Paul's uh, addressing Peter in the issue of his hypocrisy. And really the core, the core of this, not only apply, it, it is so applicable not only to Peter, but to us. What we see here today in this section, really what we see in the rest of Galatians, we still struggle with today. And that is why I'm going to move slowly through these sections. And I pray that as we move slowly, here's what I want. I want us to fully grasp and understand what we have in the gospel. I want us to fully understand the doctrine of justification. There's probably no other doctrine that will change. If we would grasp the the greatness and the fullness of, of what we entered into two weeks ago in the doctrine of justification, the the, the truth that is this, I am declared righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. By my faith in Jesus Christ, God rightly declares me righteous. Though I'm a sinner, though I've offended God, I can be completely forgiven, completely cleansed of all my sin alone through the blood of Jesus Christ. And, And I promise you, If we're honest with ourselves, we don't fully, I'm not even sure in my flesh I'm able to fully grasp that. And subtly, and maybe not subtly, we love to take the gospel and just slip in some rules gradually. Gospel plus, today it's not circumcision, today it would be other things. Gospel plus what we eat or drink. Gospel plus what we watch. Gospel plus, 
fill in the blank. It's still alive today. Are, are, we, are we in Christ solely based on our faith in Christ, solely based in what Jesus has done, or is it Christ plus something else? And, and the key as I think about this today is, is this. Is it one way for us and another way for others? Do we get saved one way? Is salvation solely by grace for us, but now others? Is it something else? I think there are subtle ways where the doctrine of justification, where what Paul is getting at here with Peter is very applicable to our lives. The fact that, the fact that I stand before God as a sinner completely forgiven. My sins have been completely removed. Do, do I grasp that? And, and it boils down to even, even a subtlety of, of, I would ask you, in your heart of hearts, you know, not, not trying to be confrontational, but just asking the subtlety of how this sin, why are you here today? Are you here today because Jesus Christ has, has given you the favor, or are you here today to earn God's favor? Are, are you here today because subtly you think that God will not be pleased with you if you're not here today? Or, or in a sense, earning his favor? Are you, or are you here because his favor has been earned through Christ? And you're here out of the overflow, the joy of simply being saved and what God's done. And, and, and that's why I want us to go slow here. This is like a gold mine. If I told you there was a field, if I said, hey, out back, that field out back is littered with gold. I promise you, you would not just run through it as quickly as possible. You would dig as deep as you could, and you would mine every single inch of that field looking for all the gold. And that's what I want us to do here. Because I firmly believe that if we really grasped what Paul is getting at here, if we, if we let it sink down, it'll change not only us individually, it'll change us corporately, it'll change our homes, It'll change our workplaces. So, so what, is Paul, what is Paul saying here? In verses 15 through 18, we're only going to deal with verses 15 through 18. We're not even going to get to verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died. There is a whole, there is a whole sermon right there. So just if you think I'm going slow now, wait till we cover one verse. Just you can skip that day if you want. We'll catch you in about three months in chapter 3. But, but, but I don't want us to miss out. The main point, the main point I want us to walk away from here today, and the main point, it's not something I made up. I believe this is what the Bible is teaching us. I, I think it's what we need to drill home. It, it's really what justification is all about is that we are to live out our life based upon who we have been declared to be, who we have been declared to be solely by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. We are to live out who we have been declared to be. And, and I would illustrate it this way. So I, I, I'm terrible at this, so I'm certainly not the poster child. Karen and I live busy lives. We, we, we go out a lot. We do not go out a lot, just the two of us. Most of our going out there, it involves another couple, it involves multiple couples, it involves kids, it involves a lot of... I, I am telling you, pray for Karen, I am the poster child for no date night. I am anti-date night. 
We go on a lot of dates. It's just a lot of double dates, if you will. I'm bad at it. But, but, but the, the question would be this. So suppose I was good. Let's pretend. Karen can pretend she married somebody who is good at, at, at doing that. The question becomes, why, why do you do that? Do you take her out because she's your wife? Or do you take her out to keep her your wife? Do you take her out because you love her and because she's committed her life to you? Or do you take her out looking for something else? Trying to earn something. You see the picture? Why? This is boiling down to why do we do everything we do? Is it because we have been declared righteous in Christ? Or are subtly we trying to earn our righteousness? Is it, it, and, and it, and it goes beyond us. How do we receive other people? Do we receive other Christians completely clean by the blood of Christ? Or is it Christ plus something? It's Christ plus nothing for me, but how is it for you? What, what about when, when other Christians walk in these doors and they don't look like us or talk like you? Do you fully accept them? What, what about non-believers? Do we, do we, what, what gospel do we preach, not only here, but out in the world? How do you get clean? How do you get forgiven of your sin? Is it Christ plus something, or is it simply Christ? That, that's Peter's issue. You ever, you ever played a game where two people are operating and they're playing the same game, but they're playing by different rules? One person has this understanding of the rules, and another person has this understanding of the rules. My, my daughter is very good at that. She's very good at making up the rules on the fly. And they tend to favor her. And, and, and if we're not careful, that can almost be what we do as a body. A bunch of Christians out there in the world playing a, playing a game, if you will. And I'm not belittling salvation when I say game, but you understand what I'm saying. By different rules. How is a person made right before God? That is the issue. But not only that, living that out. Letting that settle in that I am, I am made right with God simply by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. And everything else flows out of that. See, my love for Karen, my love for her, and the fact that she is my wife, that ought to be the sole motivation for me doing what I do for her. Because the relationship is established. On June 28, 2003, the relationship was established. And that's the truth that, that Paul gets to right here in verses 15 and 16 of Galatians 2. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but, but through him in Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. What, what Paul is saying here is the truth of the gospel is that through faith alone in Christ, we are accepted by God. And our righteousness is based on Jesus Christ's work, not our own work. It's through belief. That's why Romans 5.1 says, therefore we have peace with God. How? Through believing in Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 says, for now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How? Faith in God. Because what we deserve, what we get as sinners, unsaved, unrepentant sinners, we have no peace with God. Why? Because we're enemies. 
And, and what we deserve is condemnation. That's what we're going to get. A holy, righteous judge has no choice but to give an unrepentant sinner condemnation. You, you can look at Proverbs uh, 17, verse 15. I mean, this could be a, a whole sermon in and of itself. Proverbs, listen to Proverbs 17, 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous... Both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. Do you get that? He who justifies... So to justify a wicked person and to condemn a righteous person, both are an abomination to the Lord. So the question becomes this. How does a holy God rightly justify a wicked person? That's the, that's the dilemma. I, and that's probably not the dilemma you think about or that I think about, but literally that's the dilemma God faced when He created a way for you and I, sinners, to be saved. How do I rightly justify a wicked person? That, that's the dilemma. And God's answer was this, I'll crucify my righteous son and then I'll give the wicked person his righteousness by a declaration of grace. I'll treat, I'll treat them as if they lived my son's life, a perfect life, because I'm going to treat my son as if he had sinned. Literally, they can trade, if you will. God condemned sin. He condemned it on His perfect son. Therefore, God now can rightly justify a wicked person. Why? Because my sin and your sin, the sins of the whole world, have been dealt with rightly. They've been crucified. They've been, they've been condemned. I hope you see that. That's how God can rightly forgive you and I. And we had no part in that. We simply believe it. If we would grasp that, that, that our acceptance before God is not based on our performance for Him. Our acceptance before God is based on Christ's performance on our behalf. And we simply believe in that. I mean, it would be like, I, I was talking to, we were, we were with, at dinner last night with a, with a couple, not Karen and I by ourselves again, as is the pattern. Um, and we were watching, we were at someone's house and we were watching the NCAA, uh, a little bit of the NCAA basketball game. And I said, you know, I think if I, had, if I could do one thing, if I could have one physical, if I could just do one sports feat, I wish I could dunk a basketball goal on a 10-foot rim. Because I said that, I wish I could dunk a basketball, and the guy I was with said, just lower it to 8 feet. Ha ha. No, I wish I could dunk a basketball goal. I wish I knew what Lee felt like at six foot nine and just driving through the lane and just throw down that ball. And, and you know, it it, it, it but the beauty of this, suppose I was in a dunk contest and Michael Jordan said, hey, you want me to dunk for you? You want my score to count for you? Absolutely I do. Because I can't dunk a basketball goal on a 10-foot goal. See, I, I couldn't be perfect. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't be sinless. And yet he made him, God made him who knew no sin to be sent on my behalf. Now through faith in Christ, when I could literally in this, I could sit on the sidelines and as Michael Jordan dunked, everyone knew, hey, his score is attributed to Chris Basham. I would look foolish to go out there and say, hey, let me try to help you out, Michael. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me work with you here. No, just sit back and let Michael do his thing. That, and, and again, that's, that's what 
what Paul is getting at. We don't earn our salvation. And, and, and listen, if Peter, who was an apostle, if Peter, who in Acts was given a vision by the Lord, literally a sheet is lowered and all the animals are in the sheet, and he said, Peter, arise, kill, and eat. Go eat anything that is set before you. What I have created is clean. If Peter, an apostle, struggled with the doctrine of justification and its effects, what does that say about you and I? If Peter, an apostle, struggled with accepting everyone, every believer on equal footing, what does that say about you and I? We're going to struggle with not only seeing ourselves as believers through the blood of Christ, but seeing others solely through the blood of Christ. By not gravitating, as we'll see in chapter 3, back to works once we're saved to try to keep God's favor. And not only that, treating others the same way. I mean, to allow, to allow God's grace to have full control of our lives, that, that my approval before God is solely based on the work of Christ. Because I promise you, if we're honest, we all struggle with doing things with the mindset that we're going to pay God back. The reality is, the very thing that I think I'm doing to pay Him back is fueled by what? His grace. So you know what? In the very thing that I'm doing to pay Him back, my debt to grace is increasing. We cannot, we, I don't do things to pay Him back. I do it because, I do what I do because Christ did it all. And, and I simply live in the beauty of that. Do we work? We absolutely work. You can't, you can't miss that in Scripture, but I don't work for salvation. I work from having been saved. That, that my goal is to declare the excellencies of a, of, a, of a gospel that has saved me in spite of me. And, and Peter is struggling with, with, is the gospel for everyone and is it to be enjoyed by faith? Is it faith alone? And what are the implications of that for all of our lives? Even our eating. You understand, even our eating was affected is affected by the gospel. That's why in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. The fact that I'm a saved individual has ramifications on every single aspect of my life, even down to my eating. Why do I do what I do? By, based on 1 Corinthians 10, 31, I can eat in an unholy way, and I can eat in a holy way. I can do it to the glory of God, or I can not do it. That's part of why we give thanks before every meal. It's our way of saying, God... We, we receive this from you. Even, even the food on my table. Act of grace. But think about it. But think about it. No, to no longer live for self. To, to no longer live for what feels right. To no longer live based on what seems right. But to govern every single aspect of our life by the word of God and by grace. To live in the spirit. To no longer live for the glory of ourselves, but to live for the glory of God. I think we would all agree that that's a tough shift. We would all agree that we love to be glory robbers and take back the glory, to take back the praise, to take back the, the accolation of, of having been saved. And, and, and there were patterns and, and there were privileges that were inferred by grace and they were not living these out. Any, any patterns in your life that you've had a hard time letting go of? 
any, any, any ways that, you know, Peter was raised a good Jew. Some of us in here may have been raised in a home where, you know what, you didn't do certain things and, and you've come to know Christ and it's been, you've, maybe you've had a hard time going back and freely doing those things that you were taught your whole life you didn't do. That, that's Peter. Peter struggled with accepting Gentile believers fully into the family of God. Anybody you've ever struggled with accepting fully into the family of God? Anybody as a believer you've ever struggled accepting as a fellow believer, a fellow heir of the grace of life? Maybe because they didn't look like you or act like you or think like you and you just, you, you, you in, a, in, a, in a godly way, of course, you know, we're good at that, just kind of set them off to the side. I mean, Peter and Paul were privileged. They, they were Jews. He says that in chapter 15. What, he, what he's getting at is saying, the Jews viewed themselves as better than the Gentiles. They, they, Paul is not saying they weren't sinners. They just weren't sinners like the Gentiles. You know, we have the law. Jews have the law. We're, we're not sinners like those, like those Gentiles. We're privileged. He, he's saying that the Jews had the law, the Gentiles didn't. And since that, since, because of that, the Gentiles, the Jews had a privilege that the Gentiles didn't have. But privilege, listen to me. What Paul is getting at and what Paul is having to teach Peter is the very thing that you and I still need to learn this. Privilege doesn't save somebody. Your upbringing doesn't save somebody. Your heritage, your family heritage, none of that doesn't bring salvation. Even though the Jews, and you see it on your handout, had tremendous privilege, it did not justify them before God. That is what Paul is saying. Nobody is justified by the works of the law. If you share the gospel with people, at some point you're going to hear this. You ask them, are you a Christian? They say yes. They, I say, how do you know? And inevitably they're going to say something like this. I grew up in a Christian home. I'm a good person. Invariably. That is a modern day version of trusting your heritage to get you saved. I grew up, I grew up with, with a, in a Christian home. I grew up in a great home. Guess what? Until I was 16, that didn't, did nothing for me. I was, I was headed to hell as a sinner. Just because I was raised in a Christian home. And, and what Peter and Paul, what Paul is saying to Peter is, look, tremendous, nobody, I would rather grow up in a Christian home than a non-Christian home. Hear me. But that doesn't save you. Just because Sarah Grace and Bradley have a pastor as a, as a father, that doesn't save them. They have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what saves them. Listen, exposure to God's grace, exposure to God's word, being around other Christians doesn't save you. It doesn't make you righteous. That does not make you acceptable for God. Not, not having sinned the way that other people have sinned doesn't make you acceptable to God. James says if you broke one law, if you broke one, if you sinned one time, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. So whether I've done this or whether I've done that, both stand equally condemned by God because of sin. Both are equally in need of grace. Psalm 143.2 says, No one alive is righteous in God's sight. And, and if we had time, we could read that whole psalm. And David is pleading for mercy why? Because he realizes that he cannot stand before a holy God as a sinner. He, he, David knew full well that he was a sinner, and he is pleading for mercy in Psalm 143 too. And here's, what he, here, here's the truth, that, that David was privileged. He was the king of Israel. He was privileged. 
But he knew it was solely based upon faith. That he was a sinner, that he was separated from God's grace. And, and the truth that, that Paul is getting at and, and drilling home for Peter, but us, is this. Salvation only comes through faith in Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. As simple as that sounds, it is, it is difficult to wander away from that. And, and that truth applies to everyone, even a Jewish apostle. No one is declared righteous. No one is saved by doing the law or works of the flesh. No one. Our acceptance is solely, solely through Jesus Christ. And that is what Paul is teaching over and over again. You're going to get tired of hearing that, but he's going to go on and on about that. Why? Because we have a hard time staying there. We have a hard time not trying, to, not trying to just kind of slide works into the equation. I teach a Sunday school class. I, I go to church three out of four Sundays. They only go two out of four. I, I do this. I do, it doesn't matter. Those, those things matter. We ought to go to church. Hebrews 10, do not forsake the assembling together as the habit of as such, but, but come to spur one another on. We, do, we shouldn't forsake it, but I don't come here to earn God's salvation or God's favor. I come here because it's been earned for me. Totally different motivations. And I, I, if we were honest, every one of us in here is, fights a battle of constantly fighting off a works mentality of earning God's favor. Keeping that from creeping in. Keeping that, just keeping the, straying from the tendency to start stockpiling and inventorying all our good works that, that God ought to be pleased with and, and we ought to earn and merit favor for. Instead of seeing all of that by grace. But not only in our lives, what I'm concerned about is how we treat others. And, and what Peter dealt with is it was one way for him and it was another way for somebody else. And, and we'll get to that. We are accepted by grace alone through faith. Let that sink in. My acceptance before God is totally based upon Christ, not based upon my country of origin, not based on how I was raised, not based on the home I grew up in, not based in my family, not based in my, my economic status, nothing. All of us stand condemned before God as sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3 says. Yet in God's great mercy, He sent His only Son, who was righteous, who was perfect, to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, God could rightly bring us into heaven. And salvation is this. I'm exchanging my sinfulness. And in return, I'm repenting of that. I'm acknowledging I'm a sinner. I'm repenting of it. And in return of that, God exchanges that for righteousness. And therefore, God is not a God who justifies the, the wicked or condemns the righteous. He, he accepts the righteous. Why? Because I have the righteousness of Christ. And when God sees me, he sees Christ. So, so let that sink in. My, not only my acceptance, but your acceptance and every other believer's acceptance is solely through the work of Jesus Christ. And everything else flows out of that. But, but secondly, secondly today, to, to build on the truth that we said in the beginning, that we're to live out. We're to live out this life based on who we've been declared to be. I have a declaration. I am Karen's husband. Therefore, therefore that declaration legislates, if you will, or, or motivates be certain actions. That's what we're saying, who you are in Christ. Not only is your acceptance in Christ 
But looking to any other means for salvation only proves that we're sinners who don't understand God's salvation. To go back, that, that's what verses 17 and 18, Paul is saying, he says, If while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For, I have, for if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What, what, what Paul gets to in 17 and 18 is this. Paul accepts the facts that as Jews, they are sinners just like everyone else. When compared to the law, when compared to the law, here's the reality. Every single one of us falls short. We're on equal footing. Fall short. And, and what Paul, and you see here in other places, that was the sole purpose of the law, to expose our sinfulness. It's like, hey, I'm going to prove whether Chris can dunk a 10-foot goal. Let's put the goal at 10 feet, and Chris, here's a ball, go dunk. I can't. That's the point. God said, you want to be righteous? Here's the law. Here's an expression of my righteousness. Be perfect. Well, I can't. Okay, so you need somebody to do it for you. That's the whole point. The, the law, the purpose of the law was to expose our sin. Paul deals with that in Romans. He says, is the law unholy? Absolutely not. I would have never known my sinfulness were it not for the law. God said, here's my standard. Here's righteousness. Here's the standard. That was expressed in the law. Men fell short. Now we need, now we need a Savior. We need a Savior. And Paul, is already, he's already shown the law can't save. Both he and Peter were only stood condemned by the law. He's saying, why would you go back to that which can only condemn you? Why would you go back to thinking that that'll save you when we've already proven and you've agreed that it can't? I mean, you can sympathize with Peter. I mean, you can understand a, a, in front of his Jewish buddies, having grown up one way his whole life and, now, and not eating certain things, and now all of a sudden he's allowed to eat certain things. You can certainly sympathize. But what he was failing to do is allow the doctrine of justification, allow the fact that his acceptance was not based on what he ate or didn't eat. That's not what saved him. And he kept gravitating back to works, gravitating back to the law. And the reality is, is what, Peter is, what Paul is exposing is that the Jews, in upholding the law for salvation, they were using the wrong measuring rod. They had a, a train, you know, we'll see it in Galatians 3, the law was a tutor, literally train tracks that was to lead us to Christ. And what they had done is they had taken those train tracks, leaned them up against the law, and tried to use them as a ladder to get to God on their own. Instead of just getting on the train, believing in Christ, letting it take them to Christ. They instead tried to take it upon themselves to earn their way to God. And to treat the law as if it could save them, when in reality, only Christ saves. It's not keeping the law. And what Paul is saying is that the work of Christ tore down the law as a means of salvation. It exposed the law. Revealed that, look, the law can't save you. You need somebody to save you. Why would you go back to that which has been destroyed or, or torn down, rather? That's why Christ said, came. He said, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. He fulfilled the law. Christ fulfilled the law perfectly on my behalf. And then he gave me that perfection through faith. Literally gave me his test score, if you will. Gave me his dunk. 
and, and think, Paul is saying, why would you go back to that which can't save you? Th- think of it like this, an x-ray machine. It, it seems like every week I come here, somebody else is in a cast. So, so this illustration ought to, ought to hit home with a lot of us. You know, an x-ray machine, what does an x-ray machine does? An x-ray machine only exposes a problem. An x-ray machine only tells you, hey, there's a broken bone and here's where it is. It simply exposes the problem. It does nothing to cure the problem. Agreed? It simply tells you, you, you're right, you have a broken bone. That throbbing, that pain you're feeling, that swelling, it's sourced right here. You have a broken bone. But listen, you know, after you get your x-rays, where do they send you? They send you to an orthopedic doctor. You know what that orthopedic doctor does? He repairs the broken bone. See, the law was the x-ray machine. The law simply said, hey, you've got a problem. But you know what, guys? You need somebody else to cure the problem. And you know, when you get that x-ray, you know what that doctor does? He sends you, he gives you a referral. And you know what he does? He refers you to an orthopedic surgeon. You know what the law was doing? It was a tutor that was referring you to someone else. It was leading you to somebody else to save you. He's saying, look, you have a problem. I'm going to lead you to the one who can solve your problem, and that's Jesus Christ. Only the work of Christ can sufficiently fix the problem of sin. Christ is the doctor that sets the bone straight. We'll see that in Galatians 6. He says, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. That word restore literally means the setting of a broken bone. Christ has come to do what the law could have never done. The law simply exposed Houston, there's a problem. And going back to the law was just a way of saying, look, you don't truly comprehend what God has done. And you don't truly comprehend the magnitude of your sin. And what Paul is saying is salvation is found in Christ alone, not the law. And even worse, listen, to trust the law for salvation was to deny the sufficiency of God's grace. It was literally a way of saying, God, you didn't do it all, so I've got to pick up the tab. That's what he's going to get to in verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Listen, if there was any way for you and I to get to heaven outside of crucifying God's son, Jesus Christ, if God still crucified his son, he would be far short of a good father. If there was a debt to be paid, if I had a debt to pay, and there were four options, and the fourth option was crucify Bradley, what are the, what are the chances I'm going to option four? Look, I'm going to take care of the other options. If there was a way for you and I to merit, to earn, to warrant salvation on our own, why Christ? Why did God crucify His Son? That's what Paul is getting at. You see the danger of of going back to the law, of treating others according to the law once they're saved. And Paul, what Paul is getting at is a right understanding of the law. We've got to have a right understanding. Because, listen, before Jesus Christ, the law was a burden. That's what Jesus, Jesus gets to in Matthew 11. 28 29, take my yoke upon me and learn from me. For my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the Jews are saying, hey, to remove the law, that would have been a license to sin. And Paul is saying, absolutely not. You misunderstand the law. Because again, before Christ, the law only revealed our sin. But now, through the eyes of Christ, the law shows the path to everlasting life. It's a tutor that leads us to Christ. 
For a believer, for a believer, obeying these commands, not as a means of salvation, they're not a means of salvation, they're a means of glorifying the Savior who saved me. That, that's where these come in. It's a totally different understanding of the law. I see them as a reflection of God's character, as a reflection of His heart. Therefore, I want to glorify my Father, and this is how you do that, by taking on His character. Not as a means to save. And, and as a saved individual, this word is no longer burden. It's actually an expression of God's love. And, and we battle that with our kids. You, you put, you, you're, you're guiding them, you're directing them for their good. They don't understand that. They think you're just mean. Bradley told me that yesterday. You're just mean. Maybe. Probably am mean. Not in this case. I'm right. You know? I mean, he wants to do whatever he wants to do, and then I should just let him do whatever he wants to do. I mean, yeah, wouldn't we all love to live in that world? He doesn't understand that when I tell him no, it's actually because I love him. And when I say do this instead of that, it's actually because I'm not the smartest guy, but I'm smarter than you, and I've been there, and I'm trying to keep you from hurting yourself. And when God says, don't do this, as a Christian now, it comes from a loving father who is lovingly saying, Chris, don't bankrupt yourself, don't ruin your life doing that. Do this. This is the true path. It's a loving father. And, and what, what I don't want you to hear is this. It's not, that we don't, it's not that we don't work. It's not that we don't do things. Good works has a proper place in the Christian's life, but they will, know, they will never earn salvation. They're not to earn salvation. They flow out of salvation. They flow out of being saved. A, a saved person may do some of the same things that an unsaved person would do out of the law, but yet he does them for a different motivation, because of grace. They're fueled by grace, and they're to show off God versus show off themselves. And, and what we have to get at, and what Paul is saying, is works and faith are incompatible opposites when it comes to salvation. They are total opposites. They cannot exist together. Through faith alone in the work of Christ can we be accepted by God. The law absolutely could not impart salvation, and that is the point here. We are justified. Jew and Gentile alike are justified by the work of Christ alone. The, the fact that we can be fully accepted by God through the work of Christ. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. I think, I think that's what Paul was getting at when he in Romans 12 one says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercy of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. Romans 1 through 11, he was explaining the gospel and its implications, really the mercy of God. And he says, in view of God's mercy, in view of all he's done, the most, the most simple thing that you could do is simply to offer yourselves to him as an act of worship. Not as a means of earning favor, but as an act of worship. So I ask us as a church, real quickly, just to ponder some things. As I tried to um, think through this and what does this mean for us? 
I think for most of us, we would say the right answers. We would say that our relationship with God is based upon grace. But do we live that out? Do you live that out individually? What about corporately? Do you, do you treat others as though their relationship with Jesus Christ was based solely on grace as well? Do, do we have different standards for ourselves than others? Some of us may struggle with being more gracious with ourselves than others. Some of us may struggle with being more gracious than others than ourselves. Listen, all of us are accepted by Jesus Christ alone. The question becomes this, what are you trusting in right now? Why do you do what you do? Are you here because you're fueled by God's grace, or are you here because you're going to feel guilty if you don't come? You're going to wonder what others are going to think if you're not here. Are you doing it out of habit, or are you doing it out of overflow of, of being saved? I, I could, on the surface, take Karen out every Friday night to the greatest restaurants in the world and do it all for the wrong reason. We, we could, you could have the best attendance here in the world and do it for the wrong reason. And the doctrine of justification, our acceptance before God, others' acceptance before God, starts with how we understand salvation. How do we view our standing before God? And I thought about it. I wonder, I wonder if this misunderstanding is why so many people aren't willing. And I'm speaking to the church here. I wonder if this is why so many people aren't willing to admit their sin. Aren't willing to admit their sin. You know why? Because we live in a performance-based world. And a brother and sister will hide their sin and never admit their sin, never get somebody to come along with them. Because you know why? Deep down, they're wondering how they'll be accepted. Because deep down, we really haven't allowed justification by faith alone to settle into our hearts. That my standing by, in front of God is not based on my ability not to sin. It's based on Jesus Christ's ability to totally forgive sin. And the church is a place where if we can, Jesus himself, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins. Is that here? Do we feel free to admit, look, I'm struggling with this. Can you come alongside me? Or do we not do that because we're worried about it? If they really know who I am, will they accept me? The reason for that is because we haven't allowed God's acceptance to creep into every part of our lives. That works mentality is still welling up in our flesh that I've got to look good enough for God to save me. The reality is I can't do that. And it's a misunderstanding of this. It's a misunderstanding of justification. It's a misunderstanding of our acceptance for God. I mean, if they really knew who I was, if they really knew what I have done, would they accepted me? I mean, what do you think a church would look like if we... If we if we lived out what Paul says really about God in Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And I'm talking about people who are really dealing with their sin, not just, well, I'm a sinner and you got accepted and do nothing about it. No, people who are aggressively fighting their sin but struggling. What would this place look like if we were honest about it? Because subconsciously we send a message to the world, hey, the church, you get your act together and you can come to church. And when you're here, you better keep your act together. That's not the church. That's not the body of Christ. We're a bunch of sinners who, by the grace of God, have been saved from the penalty and the payment of our sin, all by grace. 
And I pray that we would treat others that same way. I pray that we would, we would be a church that does not accept one another because they look like us or act like us. We accept one another because of the grace of God has been poured out on their lives. And when non-believers walk in here, that we would accept them as well. That, that, that we would grasp the glory of this message and take it to the streets. That we'd, we'd share it. That our acceptance is not based on our performance, it's based on Christ's performance. And we're not just a bunch of perfect people. We're a bunch of messed up people. Whether, look, no matter what you think we think, look, we know. If you're a guy, I'm a guy, you're a guy, there's, no, there's, there, there's nothing you're struggling with that's not common to man. Ladies, y'all know what you struggle with. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying, let our, let our acceptance here be based upon the work of Christ, not our own work. And may this be a place where we feel safe to come and get alongside some men and say, look, I'm, I'm struggling. Will you help me through this? That, that we would feel the freedom even to come along our wives and say, honey, I'm really struggling with this. Will, will you walk me through this? Can we be accountable as a husband and wife knowing that, look, she'll accept me. Why? Because justification. And if I summed it up, listen, if I was going to sum it up and you see it in your handout, it's this. Justification is God treating Christ as if he had lived my life so that God could rightly treat me as, a, as if I had lived Christ's life. Imagine that. God treating me as if I had lived Christ's life. That's justification. Why? Because of grace. If you're here today and you've never accepted that grace... I pray that after I pray, you'd come down and we could talk about that. That I could help you understand and put you on a path to walk, to grow up in that grace. Not just, hey, I, wa I walked down an aisle when I was eight. I'm good. Maybe. Maybe not. I prayed a prayer when I was seven. Maybe. And if you're here today and you're a believer, I pray that we would, we would chew on this, meditate on the doctrine of justification. That, that our acceptance before God is not based on our performance for Him, but it is based upon Christ's performance on our behalf. And that we would be a people that, that just glory in grace. Not take advantage of it, but glory in it and share it.